WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Peekamoose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining from 4 to 9 p.m. Takeout till 10. Peekamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. You're listening to WIOX Roxbury, New York. Community radio in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM. Serving Roxbury, Margaretville, Halkettsville, Halkett Center, Hobart, Gilboa, Conesville, Stanford, South Courtright, North Blenheim, Fultonham, Schoharie, Middleburg, Pine Hill, Highmount, Shandaken, Fleischman, Venetia, Jefferson, Huntersville, Wyndham, Watsonville, Meredith, East Meredith, Meridale, Big Indian, Butts Corner, Kelly's Corner, Bovine and Grand Gorge, Andes, Arkville, Drybrook, Breaking Beam, Barkaboom, Arena, Prattsville, Downsville, Summit, New Kingston, Denver, Vega, and everywhere else at WIOXradio.org. Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Not bad. What have you been up to? Well, I just got back from Long Island. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you, John, and I were down there doing uh, wildland fire training for a whole week. So that was a pretty neat experience. Never taken a course like that before. Yeah, wildland fire training in, in uh, Upton, Long Island, kind of near Riverhead. and It was nice, you know, not bad. Just hard getting there, you know, going through the city is not easy. Yeah, that was pretty rough. 
But uh, it was worth it. I've never been on Long Island. Pretty interesting there where we were, uh, Brookhaven National Labs. They have some uh, uh, pitch pine forests there, um, a lot of oaks, scrub oaks, but really sandy soil. So. Yeah. Very sandy. Yeah. Yep. So, well, uh, tonight tonight's topic is uh, aerial forest spraying with Chuck Weber, and uh, he's a pilot with Rebecca Lynn Flying Service. And uh, let me see if I can get him on. He's been spraying in the Catskills and, and other places for uh, Gypsy Moth uh, recently. Let me see if I can get him on. Chuck, are you there? I am. Good evening. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Hey, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Chuck, uh, yeah, just tell us about yourself, how you got into aerial spraying in the first place and all that. Okay. Well, for me, it was very easy because I was, uh, when I was born in 1962, I lived at my father's airport where the whole family lived. So I grew up around it from the day I was arrived till uh, to this day here. I've been flying for a long time and. My dad was a crop duster. He started in 1945, and back then you had to make everything. You could take an aircraft of your choice, but you had to retrofit it with a lot of auto parts, actually. And uh, he was quite the pioneer, so I always had it in my mind to do it. And this is my 30th year. Wow. And, uh, very rewarding, I guess you could say. Where do you fly out of? Where are you based out of? Well, I'm based out of Columbia County, New York, and that's where I'm actually from, is Columbia County, New York. I live in the southern end of it, which is Livingston, and I have uh, an airport at my house. And um, I don't work out of that airstrip because it's on a drumlin, if you know what that is. If you don't, I could tell you, but I live on a drumlin, and my uh, short airstrip, I'd call it, is 900 foot long. So I don't work out of here, but I run out of here and I do my maintenance every winter here at home but we work out of real airports like Sullivan County or Columbia County you know, airports that are some of them are a mile long doesn't need to be that long but it's nice to have a large airport hmm. those drumlins aren't, aren't they like raised topography topography yeah, from uh, glacial that's right yeah. a glacial deposit yep. yeah that's cool that's right. so not that's good nice. for an airstrip impressive <laughs> Um, what'd you say, Zane? So not probably not good for an airstrip then? I don't know, is it? No, yeah. it's on a hill, so it's uh it's very short, but it's great for an airport. It keeps out the riffraff, but it you know, <laughs> you come in and you land very uphill. So it's a little bit like stopping uphill and drag racing downhill when you take off. So mm. I I like it a lot and uh and I do everything I do on fifteen acres, so pretty happy with that. Yeah, it's pretty well drained, so probably nice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we have them down in the, the lower Hudson for that's where a lot of the apple orchards are. Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. The uh, so what what got your father into it? I guess then too. I mean, well, he was um, actually I'm not going to believe this, but he was actually sitting on the very hill that I live on, and he was in construction in his early days, as was I, and uh, he was actually. A friend of a big apple grower right below my house. It was all apples back then, and their name was Tinklepaw. And they used to have gypsies, they called them, gypsy flyers, come up from the south and do some crop dusting. And he knew my uh, my father was a, uh, learning how to fly at that time. 
And he, he said to my dad, what do you think about that? Would you like to do it? And my dad said, yeah. And, and uh, knowing that he had a customer, he started, and he was self-taught, just like I am. And, um, and that's how he got started, and he did it for, I think, 28 years. I've never met anyone who does it, so there you <laughs> go. <laughs> so um, Zane and I and John are certified pesticide applicators in uh, New York State, D.C., and it's quite a quite a bit to go through. But I can't imagine what 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 is it like for to go. Th- what kind of license do you have? Category is that? Okay, so multiple categories. First of all, and with D.C. and probably the biggest challenge and my wife Felicia takes care of most of or all of it actually I go to conventions and get credits but she takes care of the relicensing and keeping that going and that's quite a challenge without a doubt because every state is a little bit different and we're usually uh, you know maybe maybe four categories used to be more years ago but um, you know we're public health and ornamental turf forestry you know things like that so it's a challenge and we're usually licensed in five states and we're always we're at any chance at any moment we could be licensed in two more so that would be seven states that she takes care of so that's quite a challenge at dc and in other states or dc or dep things like that but uh then of course you got the faa and the faa really doesn't quite know what to do with me there's Right currently, there's only two aerial applicators in New York State that I'm aware of, hmm. and uh, the FAA really, uh, they work good with me, but I know more than they do, I guess, in, about my business, so I think they learn a lot when they come visit me, and they're really good to work with, and I don't really do anything to get in any trouble, but I am very high visibility job, and so, you know, I, needless to say, I get a tremendous amount of phone calls. And they do as well. Huh. So. There's only two aerial applicators in all of New York State? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. unreal. So how far do you go to do these jobs? You said you do well, up to seven uh, states? So, 20, so, for example, 21 and 22 were a real busy year for, uh, I love how you say gypsy moth because I'm old school, but <laughs> allegedly today you're supposed to call them spongy moth, so... But you started it, so I'm staying with it. <laughs> so anyway, we were in, we were in the Finger Lakes uh, in 21 and 22, and and then with, uh, even 60 miles west of there, we we were going. Mm-hmm. And so that's the furthest west in New York you can really go until you run into Buffalo. And then, of course, all the way over here to where I live right now, gypsy moths are a pretty good issue. First time in my lifetime that gypsy moths are a pretty good issue here in Columbia County and Dutchess County which I've never seen it before, so that's pretty exciting for me. I did work for the past two years, and we got quite a bit of work in Dutchess County and Southern Columbia County for 2024. So, And then we've gone all the way out to uh, Cape Cod and did Gypsy Moth, and that was 193 miles in one way from uh, Columbia County Airport. And then we do a lot of sugar bush guys, uh, maple syrup producers, and that goes all the way up to the Canadian border in both Vermont and New York. And then we go down as far as southern New Jersey, do a lot of uh, work. I'd say our biggest state for gypsy moth by far, I guess you could say, it would be Pennsylvania. Mostly the northeast part. But, you know, we 
we um, so those are the states we mainly work in, and that's plenty. I can tell you that. Are there any states that are uh, you know easier or more difficult than others? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. New Jersey's number one. Um, Massachusetts and Vermont are pretty bad. New York is actually great for me. They really leave me alone. <laughs> but I would say the the best is probably Pennsylvania. I don't know why. Maybe they just have a little bit more comfortable government. But um, the, but but as a whole, you might be asked to do different things and make like in New Jersey, you have to advertise. And boy, if you mess that up and don't cross a T or dot an I, they can get in a lot of trouble. In fact, the only guy that used to do private work down there, he doesn't do it anymore, and he hasn't done it for 15, 20 years. So he only does state work, which is, you know, state contract work, and I only do private work. So it's tough. It's not like, um, you know, Louisiana or Arkansas or Florida. Florida's the best state in the country that I've ever been licensed in. And uh, But, you know, the Northeast is tough, as you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about fire, and uh, Florida's pretty good for fire, I guess, too. They have, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they protect the landowner liability, I guess, with fire a little bit more than others. Yeah, yeah, they're um, a great state, I think, yeah. Yeah, real quick, I just want to make a comment on Gypsy Moth. <laughs> Zane knew I was going to say something. We kind of smiled here. Never have I ever heard people uh, from the top down try to uh, force a common name. You know, and that's all I'll say. Like we don't, we don't like say you can't say sugar maple or hard maple, for example. Yeah. So yeah, th- <laughs> these are regionally based. The Latin is less subjective, right? I mean, it's yeah, East, it's yeah. Eastern rubrum. It's it's whatever. But but common names are regional. You know, yes, I don't without know, a doubt. Yeah. I, and I'm and I'm with you 100. percent Although a tremendous amount of customers I have, they don't know anything about Gypsy Moth because as of I say a year and a half ago, when you look things up, everything's been changed. Mm-hmm. So you don't even hardly see the word gypsy moth anymore. So <laughs> I usually say both, just because I'm old school and I deal with a lot of people that say gypsy moth. Yeah. But I usually say, or if I do flyers or something, I put you know gyp, uh, gypsy moth slash spongy moth or vice versa. But um, I don't know. I don't agree with it, but. I'm certainly don't want to offend any gypsies out there. I haven't met any yet, but I would love to meet one. Yeah, me too. And uh, because they're really get, they really must be something to you know be such a concern about it. But yeah. uh, you know, at any rate, I know. I, I, I someone called from Saratoga, uh, SPAC there, Saratoga Performing yeah. Arts. They wanted someone to treat for spongy moth. I I was like, I don't even know what this is. I had to look it up. <laughs> So it's like, oh, okay. It's oh, freaking okay. gypsy moth. Anyway, but so when you get a job, you get a call for someone to, to spray yeah. gypsy moth. Like, what's the first steps? So today, for example, a place called me that is a uh, Boy Scout re- uh, preserve. And um, so the first thing I do is I those people, I usually ask them, because they generally have a budget to work with. So they'll tell me a budget. So I'll go ahead and, you know, have them email me and give me their address today. And then I sent them a map to work with, and they took that map, and they said this is the area that we want to concentrate on. And then when I make a map and I digitize it, I can move things around to make it exactly, you know, what it was. So it was, you know, approximately 550 acres is what it turned out to be. But um, 
and that so just so you know those maps that I make once they're all complete and okay then my final map is actually what we load onto a thumb drive and those exact maps with great great accuracy they that's what comes up on a screen on our aircraft so we're not as you can imagine it's not like spraying a sweet corn field where you can see you know, so everything's a visual boundary where with forestry um, you can't see anything pretty much if, I mean if it's along a road you know but it's usually deep deep forest so without that stuff then you would be doing it old school like the old days which was a half a joke but it was better than nothing and that was putting helium balloons in certain corners of the property, which you mm. couldn't even see because a lot of the property we do, we crest hills and then go down them. So, And then the balloons wouldn't be up that morning because it was a cool morning or windy that night. Who knows? So the technology today that we use and you know how we get these customers to uh, go for this, I think, is making it real simple so that they can see. A lot of people have never even looked at a map, believe it or not. They have you know, when they see a map, they don't know anything about it. And but when it, by the time it's all done, they're educated. They know a lot more, and they're very, very satisfied with what they're seeing and what's going to be done. Especially for people that, when we do a job, it shows all of their prior property in its entirety, and it's just basically tax map, right? So when they see that, it makes them feel comfortable that you know you're going to put the material on their property and not somebody else's which is exactly what we do. We don't, uh, we, we can cut a pretty good line, and it's not like, uh, you know, popping a chalk line, but as far as I'm concerned, when you look at before and after pictures and things like that, it draws a pretty good line, and it takes out the guesswork. So how do you, how do you know where to, I mean, I don't know anything about being a pilot, so how do you know when dropping chemical and you're getting it on their target? Now, it's just practice, I'm, you know, <laughs> I kind of, you know, my, there's there's games people play with airplanes where they drop uh, five-pound bags of flour, and it's a contest. Mm. And it's a little bit like that, where you over the years you've done it enough times that you know when to turn on and when to turn off. There is some technology on out there that I would never use because I'm just too old school, but you can actually uh, have a program where it would turn on and turn off based on what you've digitized. But that takes away the fine-tuning of it. I wouldn't never do that. One of the things we have in the aircraft is a smoke generator, which basically just ejects uh, Corvus oil, which is a cooling oil and transformers on the telephone poles. And it's got a real good flashpoint, so it's kind of like an air show smoke. And you can let that go a little bit and see which way air is moving mm. and work with that. And sometimes when you're spraying a line, you would move past that line because you know it's going to drift over toward it and and then probably the most one of the most important lines we do uh are people's property that's right on the you know road where you turn into their property <clears throat> mm. that way you know you can do a real good job everywhere else but the most important place to do a good job is on the road as they're approaching their property and pulling into their property mm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is aerial forest spraying with Chuck Weber. So, Chuck, how, how much do you spray, like, um, like what are your rates or whatever for this? I, I guess I guess let's use gypsy moth again. Like, what are you spraying and, and, and how much and all that? Okay, so for gypsy moth, I'd say 90% of what we use is a common two letters, right, BT. 
So the only thing that's uh, actually legal to use is called 4A48B as in boy. And that is the material to have. It's a super soft material. It's nearly impossible for me to get in trouble with it because it just absolutely cannot cause environmental or economic damage. So that's what I call a super selective because it really can't hurt or kill anything on the planet except for the caterpillar that nibbles on the leaves. And it takes very little of this to make them stop eating and to trigger them into, well, it's a light bacteria. It's basically the same bacteria that's in the forest floors every day, all day. Everybody's actually breathing it and stirring it up when they're walking around. And it's the same bacteria that gets triggered by certain types of weather in the springtime that gives them their natural dieback and can wipe them out completely. That has not been happening too much lately, and I don't know if that's because of weather or what, but I think it's because of weather. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a mild bacteria. It's basically a natural material. I hate to even call it a pesticide because I've been using pesticides forever, and some of the pesticides were, you know, skull and crossbone stuff, and this is just so soft. My favorite. So that's one type, and that's a, a certified organic material as well. It's very easy to sell that material for POAs and HOAs and things like that, where you're literally spraying over a thousand, if not thousands, of people. And half the time they're driving around in golf carts, but never hear nothing. It just can't really hurt anybody. And all the label says is that it may cause an eye irritant. So that material is our. Our go-to, it's the only thing legally you can use in New York State. But in Pennsylvania, for example, you can use another material called Mimic 2LV. And I really like that material because it's uh, 8 ounces to the acre, 6 ounces to the acre, 5 ounces to the acre, right around there. I think PA State uses 6 ounces to the acre. So it's 6 ounces to the acre versus half a gallon to the acre of raw material. So the logistics of having thousands and thousands of acres of material in the springtime uh, the BT is much more of a headache. It comes in 265-gallon mini bulk tanks, where the Mimic comes in two-and-a-half-gallon jugs, and it's just a huge difference. And the Mimic actually works very well, but it's not as super selective by a long shot. You can find a few things that it, you know can harm in a forest other than just the gypsy moth. So those are the two materials that we mess with only for the most part. We used to use seven and things like that back in the old days, but um, those are the go-to materials. Do you, I mean, it sounds like you primarily spray for gypsy moth. Is there other things that you spray to control? Oh, yeah. So uh, one of my favorite customers are the sugar bush guys. I don't know what else to call them. If I'm saying something I'm not supposed to, I apologize. But uh, they're, the only, they're, they're absolutely on top of their game, and... Like, if they have a problem, they spray it at the drop of a hat. Generally speaking, people with gypsy moth problems, they always have to go through the nightmare of having them one year, and then the next year they'll want to spray. Yeah. Hardly ever does anybody say, you know what, I got a lot of these egg masses all over my property. I think I should spray. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a real good idea. But that just is not the way it happens. And that's a shame because trees really get taxed just by losing or leaves for three, four weeks because they're not making food, if you will. So anyway, you know, some of my favorite things to do are, are for the sugar bush guys, you know, because they're trying to eke out a living. Unlike a lot of the people I spray for, it's kind of just a nuisance type thing and not making widow makers or killing their trees, which I understand that's important. So 
for the Sugarbush guys, you got yes, you got Gypsy Moth, but you all probably more so than Gypsy Moth would be Forest Tent Caterpillar. And I like them a lot because they're actually easier to kill, and you can use less material to kill them than uh, Gypsy Moth. Mm. And then there's something, if I remember right, it's called Saddleback Prominent. That's a little guy, but he causes trouble. And one of the reasons I really like working for those guys is because they've discovered, and I could be wrong by a year or two, so don't kill me here, but <laughs> they've discovered that if they get hammered one year and defoliated, like if you've seen defoliation, it's you know looks like the winter time when they're done, you know, before the leaves, uh, before the trees relief. So they'll, um, they've discovered that to get their sugar, so if they're getting 1% sugar, this is an example, so if I'm off a little bit, forgive me, but if they're getting 1% sugar, it's barely worth tapping for. If they're getting 4% sugar, that's where they need to be, that's where they want to be. Well, what they've discovered is if they don't catch this right in the beginning and, you know, beat that defoliation, uh, it takes years to get the percentage all the way back up to where it used to be because the trees are so taxed, and it's all about percentage of sugar. That's how they make their money. So, uh, so that's a, a real. I have a real heart for those guys for some reason, and they're great to work with. But uh, the worst place to do that though was up in Monroe, New York, because there's literally a hundred of those massive wind machines up there, and that was. The windiest place I've ever worked in my life. It was wow. brutal. Right on the Canadian border. It, it made it challenging with drift or something, or what? Tell, yeah. What uh, no. Once once again, if you know, you know, with with my experience, I would say, knowing which way the wind is going, and that that's what everything's dictated to you. It's great. It's almost like getting given a a, a set of blueprints. You don't have to really think. You just have to translate and do it. So everything's dictated to you, and you know, as far as drift is concerned, you work with it, and, you know, it's not, I don't know, I don't want to use the word easy, because I should never say that, but it's kind of easy to figure out, you know, how far you got to move over to catch that line, if you will, based on how windy it is. And when I mean wind, you know, it could be two miles an hour, it could be nine miles an hour, and up there it was more than nine miles an hour, that's all I'll say, but <laughs> but it's not, it's not as difficult. I guess it was when I was first starting, but it's really not that difficult to do a good job. The aircraft is a you know a great invention for doing aero application, and nothing touches it, as far as I'm concerned, for mass areas. Yeah, and uh, I just had great great luck with it, you know, and so did my father. So it's been around a long time. And it's very popular throughout the whole world. Where, where are most of the maple producers that you serve? Any particular okay, area? so southern southern Vermont, and then all the way up to northern Vermont, and and then this is the, this is the run we made not too long ago, and then we crossed over into New York and went over to Monroe, and then went down to uh, Watertown area. That's where most of it is, but we've also done some in Massachusetts. Uh, we've sprayed with helicopter. I did did that for eleven years along with fixed wing. And uh, Massachusetts likes helicopters. Although I did the job in Cape Cod with a fixed wing, and they all were there watching me and everything. And, hmm. and, uh, Wait, so, so you have helicopter too? I I don't anymore. I, yeah. I gave that up. Actually, what happened was I ended up spraying shade tobacco in Connecticut huh. for eleven years, and it was so good to me. And when that ran dry, if you will, I said, you know what, I don't need to fly a helicopter anymore. And I, and I had three engine failures all on the ground, and 
and I figured, you know what, I mess with these things long enough, and I don't know, the trick to flying helicopters in my book is don't look up and look up there at that rotor, because you think that's, that's what's holding us up. I'm used to big airplanes, so. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. What, what kind of airplanes? Yeah, what kind of aircraft do you have? Okay, so uh, a small one would be just a common one, which is a Cessna, but it's special built. It's called a Cessna Ag Truck. The best year was 1975, and that's what both of my little ones are, 1975 Ag Truck. One's 300 horse, one's 400 horse, and um, they're a great tool. It's a little bit like, you know, being a, a either having chainsaws or tools in the back of your truck. you got tools for different things, so a small plane for certain things, big plane for another. My big plane is a 1,000 shaft horsepower. That's got a jet engine in it, <laughs> and it's a mountain climber, and like a lot of the work I do in Pennsylvania, you know, it just, you know, it'll just climb. It's amazing how you can go up mountains. And then when you come down, of course, you've got to be pulling power big time or else you'll overspeed. But, you know, so that's what I use right now are, are uh, three different fixed-wing aircraft. You ever have any moments where you're like, uh, oh, crap? <laughs> well, you know, years ago I, I ran round engines, which is a, a radial engine it's called. And, yeah, I've had a... I have a couple instances with those, and if I had to fly those today, I wouldn't fly. I'm just not into that anymore for sure because they're not as dependable, you could say, and especially for forestry work. Forestry work is extremely dangerous because there's just nowhere to go, and, um, you know, it's a it's a real it's a real roll of the dice how you're going to do if you got to make emergency land in the forest. I mean, mm. you, you could be okay, and but chances are it's, it's, it's as a... My helicopter instructor said years ago, he said, that looks prickly down there. Prickly. And that's a good way to describe the forest, I guess. Yeah. Um, a lot of hazards. So what altitude are you usually flying? And I also want to ask, I mean, you're flying all over. I imagine you're getting a view of New York State and oh, the yeah. Northeast that very yeah. few people are getting. And I want you to kind of speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so one of the things I notice are the hemlocks. And that was out in the Finger Lakes is where it really hit me. And I remember uh, a, a guy was on the radio, and he said, what the heck is, why are all these trees dying? And those were pockets, you know, there would be pockets of hemlock, but, you know, it was pretty darn noticeable. But uh, you really notice it, like the biggest place I can remember in history would be around, I think it's uh, Ringwood, New Jersey, which is kind of north New Jersey, and on the ridges, and they were just hammered deader than a doornail. I've seen it so many times where gypsy moth, you know, wipe out vast areas. And gypsy moth, uh, they really do like ridges. They like altitude. You know, they travel on their silk. That's how they, how that's how they come into an area. They don't fly into an area. They could if it was males carrying the eggs, but males don't uh, carry the eggs, obviously, and the females don't really fly much at all. They just lay there and put out pheromones and call the guys in and take care of business but once they're hatched uh as a caterpillar and let's just say they're i don't know just say they're the 16th or 3 16th of an inch they can fly for miles and miles and miles just like spiders on their web and each male and each female has the potential of making anywhere between 400 and 900 babies in one egg mass so that's how the numbers can explode and uh but i know i've i've seen so much devastation and it breaks my heart, really, because there's just not a lot of 
caring, I think, for the forest the way there should be by government entities. And I don't know why, especially with this material. I mean, this material is so soft, like I said. And uh, it kind of breaks my heart that money's not being spent to either help private people spray, because there's zero help in New York State that I've ever been aware of. Now, Pennsylvania, they'll do a little bit here and there to help private people, but very little. Mainly everything they do as a government contract is, you know, state property. Yeah, so, same with fire. Same with fire. And with fire, yeah. And and also New Jersey has a great fire fighting. Uh, fire, New Jersey has the fire fighting uh, system going on, and they've been doing it forever. Pennsylvania doesn't really do too much, and neither does New York State. And that's another thing. I've, I've always thought this, and I've been boisterous about it, that, you know, when when you see a fire, you send, like, an, like say, say, an airplane on a scale of 1 to 10, a, an airplane that's a number 3 could put that fire out. You know, I'm all into sending a number 6 because you put them things out when they're little. And I don't understand, even countrywide, why, uh, why there isn't more emphasis on attacking these little fires, you know. And even if you attacked one, like I see them, you know, I live on a hill so I can see the Catskills big time. And I can see fires every once in a while. And I'm like, you know what, even if that's somebody burning brush, man, go over there and pound it, and then you can apologize. But we'll learn by, you know, putting them out when they're small and not when they're huge. You know, you got me thinking, uh, has there ever been talk about aerially spraying for hemlock woolly adelgid? Well, Hmm. you know, this is what I tell people. The reason that we do so well with what I mentioned, gypsy moths and uh, forest tent, Saddleback prominent is because we're taking this material in a very concentrated form. We do put the material in the aircraft, and then we do add a small amount of water just to clean out our lines, you know, each load, and uh, and to help a little bit with carrier. But the material that we're putting out is getting on top of the canopy. Now that really works really well with uh, you know the pests that I just mentioned, and it. It, it, so there's all your concentration. There's your, your uh, That's where you want your money to do what we're doing. You want your money on top of that canopy. And any kind of other type of application, whether it be injection soil bark or saturating the bark or anything like that, you can't touch it. And uh, believe me, I've tried. I've done a couple of tests, you know, three times anyway, aerial. At the end, I do a little bit of ground spraying for the uh, spotted lanternfly, and there, I can't touch them from the air. Uh, they hang on the bark. They're not, they're not on the canopy. They don't really get out there and get anything on them, if you will, mm. or eat anything that you're getting on them or that can, you can get inside of them. And, uh, you know, so they hang out on the, on the bottom of the trunks in great numbers and put out this black secretion, and people hate it, and they want to get rid of them, and they're just the weirdest flying thing, scaring people all the time because when they fly and they land on somebody that's, you know, not bug-friendly, if you want, you know, they freak out. So they're, they're something that I can't do anything with, and I, I don't even really try to anymore other than a little bit of ground spraying I do for my aerial customers. Yeah, because the reason the BT works, right, is because it, it gets onto the leaf and then the, the larvae eat the leaf, but that's the, right. the other ones yep. are just using a siphoning mouth part. They're just sucking from yep. inside the leaf, so... Yep. Um, unless you use something that gets into the tree itself. Well, there there is yeah. systemic material, because, and I, I just know that from years and years of doing ag work, 
there, there is systemic material and it works great, but there's nothing that I know of on a grand scale that anybody has come up with or, you know, it's a 50, 60, 70 million dollar investment to bring in a new pesticide these days. So I don't think that'll ever happen. And, you know, other than uh, you, me, and a few people that are listening right now, the government doesn't seem to be too worried about these things. You know, that you know, it broke our hearts around here because we had massive elm trees on our family estate where my mom grew up. Um, man, we had the biggest elm tree probably in the world. I always thought it was, but at any rate, you know, and, and all the elms died off. And, you know, now you know, yeah. just you don't see a lot of help from anybody. Oh, it's terrible. Hey, if you're just uh, tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is aerial forest spraying with Chuck Weber. We're going to take a break, but we got some more questions for Chuck uh, coming up next. He blesses the boys as they stand in line. The smell of gun grease and their bayonets they shine. He's there to help them all that he can to make them feel wanted he's a good holy man
All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is aerial forest spraying with Chuck Weber. I had to get Sky Pilot in. Oh, that was appropriate. <laughs> I couldn't play the whole song, unfortunately, but... Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, this is all this is all pretty new to us. So, um, you know, how uh, what, what's the most note like? What noteworthy fly um, comes to mind? Like, what's a day that you're like? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, a big day for me yeah. was in 1999. I sprayed all of Rockland County for uh, Triple E, and that was uh. a, a little bit scary because the material that you're putting on. It's uh, Anvil 10 plus 10, and it's very, very fine, fine material. In fact, it's as light as air when you put it out. And then you put it out just before sundown, so you're flying well into darkness. And what happens is that material hovers in the air, and then as the uh, air cools, it brings down the material, and that's how it kills mosquitoes. And it was a, a, you know, a lot of a political thing, because across the river in Westchester County, they were spraying, so, you know, Rockland knew they had to do something uh, for no other reason than to protect themselves. And uh, so that was very uh, challenging because I, I don't really fly at night too much. And it's if you know anything about that area, you know, it's very hilly and not not great. But uh, and then it was less than six miles visibility. So at night, you know, I just, you know, Oh, man, just getting back. I actually landed at Orange County Airport when I was done, and that's probably the only time I got out of an airplane and kissed the ground just because it felt like the right thing to do, you know. <laughs> but, um, but And another great one, there's a great guy out there called, in uh, the Finger Lakes in uh, Bristol Mountain. His name's, uh, oh, his name slips me right now. But anyway, his, his place was 1,530 acres, and it's a ski resort and just a massive place incredible guy anyway so that was uh, 1530 acres and the bottom of it was 900 foot and the top of it was 2200 foot yeah. so you have to fly you know parallel long ways you're not trying to dive up and down it but that was awesome it took me four loads and uh four hours and that was working out of canadaigua airport so that was really challenging and rewarding the uh I don't know. There's way too many to think of. The, the helicopter spraying in uh, Connecticut was awesome. That's for tobacco? Yeah, that was for shade tobacco, most expensive crop in the world other than marijuana, which I sprayed a lot of that. As a matter of fact, when <laughs> hemp was crazy, I was doing 1,000 acres a week of hemp, and I did that with my small plane, and that was in the black dirt below Middletown, New York. Oh, yeah. What are you spraying and on the hemp? It was or what are you spraying for? Me. PT, you're spraying for bugs and you're spraying for the mold. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, that was going to be a trillion, billion, trillions of dollar business so that everybody went crazy with it. They gave way too many permits, overloaded everything to death, and it just went right to nothing immediately. But we had two good years of it, and it was awesome. And actually, when I got done flying, you're flying so low, and this stuff puts out such an odor, it's unbelievable. And I know there's allegedly no THC in it, but uh, and when I got done, uh, you know, with a thousand acres of breathing that, you know, forcing the air in my face because you're just using outside air for cooling and fresh air. And I'd be a little loopy when I got done, not bad or anything, but I knew I had sprayed this stuff, and it was that was quite 
a quite a, a great experience. Uh, some of the other things I do is, you know, I do spread ashes. Unfortunately, some for my friends that moved on, and you know, that's a very rewarding thing. I've developed a technique on how to do that so that you don't get inside the cockpit of an aircraft, and that's awesome. And I, of course, don't charge for that. But and then we do a lot of dry work. We're getting ready uh, right around November twelfth. We'll be putting on mouse bait on apple orchards. And, uh, you know, we put on about 15,000 pounds of that on, uh, at 10 pounds to the acre. And that's to kill mice so that uh, they don't girdle the trees. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we, do fertil yeah, we do fertilizing work, seeding work. Um, probably did New York State Ag anyway, probably did the largest fertilizing work at one time. And that was over half a million pounds of Super U. And that's a nitrogen. And uh, of course, you use a big plane for that. But uh, how how far above the trees are you flying when you come down to do an application? Well, it depends what you're talking about and how high do you fly. Like uh, I did sweet corn for 18 years at Gill Farms there in Hurley, New York, and that you could put you could hit the tassels with your tires, or you <laughs> could fly 15 feet in the air. Uh, in all honesty, if it's not a breeze out, the 15 feet in the air gives you a better spread. Uh, fertilizer work, you can do all that at tele, you know, telephone, pole height. You don't have to get low for that at all. And, again, you get a better spread if you stay up a little mm -hmm. bit. And forestry work, again, you can, you know, try to touch the trees with your wheels or you can, you know, fly 15, 20 feet in the air. So it's not, um, you know, if somebody's watching, you know, if you ever watch videos on TV or on a tube or something, you know, people, they'll put their gear right in the crop a tiny bit because somebody's looking or making a video but in reality you don't need to fly that low you know but yeah. so you're getting pretty me, close. 15 feet isn't low 15 feet is high you know huh. wow that's a, yeah that's crazy what what um the connecticut broadleaf just out of curiosity mm -hmm. how many of those farms are still there none none no what yeah. happened was years ago um you know it was the greatest thing ever, and we're going back all the way to Indian times in all reality when tobacco was first kind of introduced and brought into big commercial operation. And then they started getting bought up by uh, the largest tobacco companies in the world, and now the largest tobacco company in the world brought everything up, and they, they do everything in the Dominican Republic. So you can just imagine what a nightmare, and, and I'm telling you, they used to have separate kitchen, massive operations, you know. For, for only 180 acres of shade tobacco, it was a you know, 20, $22 million budget. And um, so they would have a, a massive kitchen for uh, Dominicans, Jamaicans, Puerto Ricans. I mean, they would, they would, uh, it was just amazing what they had to go through. And then, of course, you know, just imagine how much more it costs to raise a crop in Connecticut, of all places, compared right. to the Dominican Republic, you know. Yeah. So, so that's all gone, and it's a real shame, but. I, I don't mind when they, when it dried up and I did my 11 years, I was, that was way enough for me. And I haven't flown a helicopter since. You know, I, I don't have any desire to fly them things. I just used it as a tool. It's too bad. My backwood cigars are so expensive. But yeah. that's because New York State in part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I hear you. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, I was just curious about that. But um, what, what's something you, you wish people knew about pesticides? And aerial spray. Um, well, where we live, it's, 
I'm not saying we live in la-la land, but it's a little bit like that compared to the rest of the country. And if you if you go to other parts of the country, like because of my daughter, I eat gluten-free, and I, my other daughter, I, I'm lactose intolerant, and I don't eat sugar and all this kind of stuff. But when I go to other parts of the country or even other parts of New York that aren't so in tune with New York City, if you will, um, you know, people don't even know anything about any what, thing what I'm talking about. They haven't even heard about this stuff. So, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because of the word organic. And if you can afford organic food and you can afford this, you can afford that, um, you know, that's great, all well and good for you. But the truth is, is organic doesn't probably feed 1%, I don't know, 5% of our population. And if you look at it on a worldwide basis, counting India and all these other places, you know, there, there's, uh, there ba- there's so many people out there basically struggling day to day to eat. So pes- without pesticides, I remember hearing this many years ago, <clears throat> without pesticides, you would need 11 times more land to raise the same amount of food. And I have a big organic farm right here at the bottom of my place. Rockefellers own it, and I love them people to death, and they're organic, and they do a great job. But boy, do they fight weeds. And then, you know, for years, it was always conventional, and the crop was incredible, and there wasn't a weed in it. And, you know, so just just seeing the real difference, what it takes to do organic, and, you know, how many times you got to run over the field, if you will, to cultivate it, because that's how you're trying to control the weeds. So I, I would dare say that anybody that thinks pesticides are bad, they should educate themselves on it. And... um You'll find out that without it and without synthetic fertilizer, you know, you just look in Iowa and some of these other big growing states, you know, it's just impossible to to feel like pesticides are bad. They can be bad, but you know what? If you put too much fuel in your car and you run it out over the tank, that's bad too. You know, it's common sense. And I think for the most part, everybody does a great job. And I think we got the best food in the whole wide world. Um but, you know, we got to think about the masses, and if you do that and look into it, I think you'll find that, yes, it's a great idea for you to spend as much money on organic food that you're spending on at these little, you know, farm-to-table places and things like that. But it's not practical for a lot of people, a lot of, pay to, you know, paycheck-to-paycheck, week-to-week type people. So I, I'm a, whole, a wholehearted believer in uh, the method that is used today, and I think they get a bad rap, you know. And just so you know, I want to go on record. I don't use a gas stove, but I like them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had my thoughts on pesticides, and then my college roommate 20 years ago educated me. He was a beef farmer and, and grew vegetables in Delaware County, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, you learn a lot, right, by yeah. interacting with people. Yeah. and. um I've learned. I try to not have strong opinions about things I don't know about. I try to. I mean, it's a pesticides. They're, they're a technology like anything else, and they've evolved. They've uh, become more sophisticated, refined over time. Until today, when we have you're talking about that product, the BT that you use, which is you know uh, from bacteria, naturally occurring organisms, and we've formulated that to be able to to spray that from the air safely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. I'd be I'd be a little more concerned about technology in general. <laughs> I think that's killing more kids than pesticides myself. Yeah, maybe staying inside too much. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there you go. 
You know, who knew sunlight? It's pretty, it's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any target pest you see on the future or horizon that uh? Well, other than the spotted lanternfly, that's the only thing. But you know, there is one thing you can count on is change, and you can count on these other countries, if you will, bringing in stuff, invasive things, and I, I, I think there's more to come. I think uh, I don't want to get into the topic of global warming, but I think I've seen uh, gypsy moth change terrifically in the past 10 years, and I've been messing with them for 30. But, you know, they're, they're much more aggressive. I've never seen them eat. They don't eat pine needles, but they eat the crowns that hold the pine needles. And I've never seen them do that until about three years ago, four years ago. And I, and I just can't believe they're doing it. But they if the conditions are right and their numbers are great enough, I don't know if they put out some kind of vibe or what, but when they know that there's a ton of caterpillars, they'll eat whatever they're on. And I've seen them eat flowers, but not the petals. I've seen them eat the bush. I've seen them eat lawns. I've seen them eat just about anything that they can eat. I don't think they eat petals because they don't offer any uh, nutritional value, I believe. That's my theory on that. But, you know, I've just seen them in great numbers. So I think that weather... I don't see anything coming down down other course other than spotted lanternfly, but I see weather changing things that are already here. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. It, it, you would know more than that than me. That's for sure. Do you work in the Catskills at all? Yeah, yeah. That's quite a challenging place too. <laughs> I can remember um, years ago when I first started. I took off out of the valley here in Columbia County and. You know, headed out and went go west, try to get over the Catskills, and I was heavy. I couldn't get over the 2,200 foot mark, so I had to come back down and go around all the way to the north, where you kind of go around the north end of the Catskills, and you can get in them that way. And, but yeah, we've worked there many times. I, they're not. I don't see the Catskills in general right now, other than right around um, you know the say Monticello area, and you know outreach from there in south but i haven't seen an outbreak in uh, uh catskills for probably 15 years anyway and that's another thing i wanted to just mention so how often do these things come around so in my life experience that answer is seven years to 22 years so there's no rhyme or reason to it but <laughs> what about forest tank caterpillar you think uh, we're due for, soon we're there's what 2005 six in ulster county somewhere yeah, around there yeah they're and like I said, I, I like them a lot better because they're easier to kill. But they are um, in in certain areas right now. But we're not getting we're not getting called to them. Uh, we don't really advertise, and I do target marketing for you know POAs, HOAs, campgrounds, you know things like that. But uh, we're kind of word of mouth type people, and you know like now if you heard you know that SPAC wanted to spray and they called me, that's how I would get work, that kind of thing. But uh, but uh, the, the cat skills are very challenging. I can tell you that. Well, in your experience, what was the most beautiful, you know, aerial thing that you've seen? A valley, a mountain range, a I'd farm. Say the sun, the, okay, so for many years, I did both Sussex County and Warren County Mosquito Commission. I did their larva sighting, so that's a dry application on uh, swamps to kill larva and control mosquitoes. So I did that for many years, and I'd have to say um, the most beautiful thing 
for me is uh, take, you know, I start, the second I can see, I start. So when the whole world, it seems like, is asleep, other than the birds making some noise, and when I see the sunrises, the way I see them, you know, you know, sometimes you're 500 foot off, off over the trees when you're ferrying over to a job, for example, and uh, and that's that's really really beautiful. And then sometimes when I take off out of Columbia County and I fly over the fog on the Hudson River, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes when there's fog underneath me and the sun is shining and how it makes a silhouette on the fog in a circle, that's super cool. Just things like that. And uh, probably the worst flying I've done in my life was two times, and both times is when the uh, smoke came here. One time it came all the way from the west and made it basically a mild visibility. And then the other time, of course, as we know in recent history, it came from Canada. And that makes for some real bad flying, really terrible, and especially if it's warm out. Because when it's warm out, your density altitude goes up. Tremendously, and not only is it warm out, and the air is thin, if you will, it's actually thick. And then to add to that, it's thick with smoke. But the smoke is so bad that you know I don't know if you thought so, but even when I was on the ground and I was breathing the smoke, it was horrible. But when you're flying, you're kind of getting force-fed this mm-hmm. uh, this air. So that was a really ugly times, real real bad. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, uh, Chuck. Thank you for coming on so much. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, we really appreciate it, and uh, have a good night, and uh, maybe um, maybe see you around. All right. God bless. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. If you just missed the show, that was uh, Chuck Weber, uh, aerial spraying in the forest, and uh, it's all new to me. High flyer. You know, pretty cool stuff. Anyway, uh, that's all the time we have on From the Forest, and have a good night. Good night, everyone. All right. WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Mountain Eagle, the community newspaper and website serving the Catskills region, covering Delaware, Schoharie, Green, and northern Ulster counties, with local reporting, regional events, school sports, letters, and features, all in the Mountain Eagle. Chappie's Good Food on Main Street in Roxbury for lunch, dinner, and cocktails. And Chappie's sister restaurant, the Old Mill Steakhouse, just around the corner on Bridge Street. Chappie's open every day. The Old Mill Steakhouse open on weekends. 607-326-7020 or chappiesgoodfood.com. WIOX Roxbury is supported by you. And a really easy way to support WIOX is to donate your car or truck, one that you don't need anymore. You know, the one sitting out in the backfield or off the side of your driveway? We'll get the old clunker out of the way at no cost to you. But it could be worth hundreds of dollars to support WIOX. Learn more about 